Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the History of Birdland podcast. This is episode number six, and I am excited to get into this one because it's an interesting uh, note in Baltimore Orioles history. By the way, I'm your host, Andy Snacks, who brings you these episodes each and every week, hopefully to be getting on to doing that more often. As I said before in my last episode, had a little bit of a break there, but I am going to be trying to get into this every week bringing you new episodes and diving into the history of the Baltimore Orioles. So today, like I said, this is maybe one of the most interesting aspects of the Orioles history. And this, we're going to go back and look at the 1999 series between the Baltimore Orioles and the Cuban national team. It was one of those weird things that happened. And I'll admit when I was watching this live in 1999, so I was what, 13 years old. I didn't really understand the ramifications of what this was of a United States baseball team playing inside of Cuba and vice versa, Cuba coming to the United States. So I thought it would be pretty interesting to dive into this and kind of look into the background and what led to this series happening and and everything that uh, had all the hoops that had to be jumped to make this series happen back in 1999. So first, let's get into some background and it starts with the cuban revolution believe it or not so back in 1959 fidel castro led the cuban revolution and overthrew the current government in cuba once fidel castro became the leader of cuba he severed ties with the united states in response to that the united states instituted an embargo against cuba which made it illegal for any United States corporation to enter into business with Cuba. The ironic thing is, was back in 1960, so you see how this comes full circle, back in 1960, the Baltimore Orioles were actually slated to hold an exhibition series against the Cincinnati Reds in Havana. And because of this overthrow and the Cuban Revolution, that series wound up being moved to Miami, Florida. No Major League Baseball team had played in Cuba since March 21st of 1959. Castro had made attempts to lure American baseball teams back to Cuba to no avail. In the 1970s, George McGovern, a United States senator, pushed the idea of an exchange of MLB and college basketball teams as a way to bridge the impasse between the two governments, Cuba and the United States. And they compared this to the ping-pong diplomacy that aided U.S.-China relations. However, this was blocked by the United States Department of State. So let's move on to the 1980s. Scott Armstrong approached Edward Bennett Williams, then the then owner of the Baltimore Orioles, to play a game between the Orioles and the Cuba All-Stars. Williams declined. Again, this is uh, Williams, the owner of the Orioles, declined because he had a position on, the, on an advisory board with the Reagan administration which opposed to having any business with Cuba. Armstrong discussed the idea with Major League Baseball Commissioner Bart Giamatti and the Major League Baseball's Player Association Chair Donald Fair. Giamatti was interested, but he died before he could pursue the idea. Fair uh, visited Cuba during the 1994-95 strike, but could not secure the antitrust exemption. So, In 1959, the Cuban government is overthrown by the revolution led by Fidel Castro. Because of that revolution, uh, the the once friendly back and forth between Cuba and the United States was completely severed. And in the 70s, in the 80s, 
Major League Baseball tried to get this series to happen between the, or not just the Orioles, but between a Major League Baseball team and Cuba. But because of the tension, I guess you could say, between the two nations, it was impossible to happen at that time. So let's fast forward to 1996. Peter Angelos, the new owner of the Orioles, met with Armstrong and Sal Landau, who convinced him to pursue an exhibition series between his Orioles, Peter Angelos, and the Cuban national baseball team. Angelos petitioned to the United States government to permit a series. United States Representative Elena Ross Lehenton, I know I pronounced that wrong, so I'm sorry for that, wrote to the State Department asking for the series to be prevented. The United States Department of Treasury denied Angelos' request on the grounds that the American money may not be spent in Cuba under the Trading with the Enemy Act of 1917. So again, new owner with the Orioles, again trying to pursue having a series with the Cuban national team, and again, it's thwarted. So here we go, January 1999. President Bill Clinton eased travel restrictions and increased cultural exchange between the two countries, the United States and Cuba. This act by President Clinton led Angelos to again seek permission to play an exhibition game in Cuba. Angelos met with Sandy Berger, Clinton's national security advisor, to discuss a potential exhibition. Bud Selig, the then MLB commissioner, allowed for the exploration of the series, though it it still required the approval of Major League Baseball owners and the Major League Baseball Players Association. The MLBPA insisted on a second game to be held in the United States. A contingent of United States representatives uh, lobbied to have this series blocked again. Ongoing negotiations through March yielded an agreement finally on March 7, 1999, over many objections from the State Department. The proceeds of the series were the major sticking point of the negotiations, and as it violated the United States embargo against Cuba. So instead of, going, of the money going to the Cuban government for this game, it was agreed upon that the proceeds would fund baseball programs in Cuba. The series did create a good amount of criticism, especially among the Cuban-American community. MLB umpire Rich Garcia, who was of Cuban descent, opposed the series. Major League Baseball umpires filed a grievance against Major League Baseball, attempting to block them from being sent to umpire the game in Cuba and refused to officiate the game in Baltimore. The Cuban-American National Foundation protested the series as well. Former U.S. diplomat Otto Reich likened the baseball match in Havana to the notion of playing soccer at Auschwitz and also the 1936 Summer Olympics in Berlin, dismissing it as a propaganda ploy by the Cuban government. So a lot to digest there. Uh, The relations between the United States and Cuba were not very good because of Fidel Castro. There's, I I don't want to speak on this because I don't really know, but I've, I've seen I've seen reporters, I've seen uh, athletes, they are not fond of Videl Castro. He was a brutal, absolutely brutal dictator. And most Cuban-Americans that I, would, I was reading on about this, just again, like I said in that, mentioned in that last sentence, it was just a ploy by the Cuban government for propaganda. And it's weird for me looking back on this series 
now because again like i said i was 13 years old when this series happened between the orioles and cuba and to me it was really nothing more than just a series and a game being played by my favorite baseball team in a place that you've never seen them play before and and when you're listening to the broadcast and you're watching the game yeah they're mentioning just how this is something that hasn't happened in a few decades and just the ramifications of that game. But as a kid, as a teenager, I don't think it really hit me. And, and, and watching the game and seeing Fidel Castro shaking hands with the Orioles, and, and it was just a, a surreal kind of thing to look back at now, knowing, reading what had transpired leading up to this, and just, again, the relations between Cuba and the United States were not very good. So to have all of these hoops they had to jump through to get this game to even happen, uh, just just crazy to think about. And so let's let's look at the two games. So game one of this two game series between the Orioles and Cuba, uh, game one was played on March twenty eighth, nineteen ninety nine, in Cuba. Tickets tickets were actually distributed by invitation only. 100 school children from Baltimore and Washington, D.C. actually traveled by plane to Cuba, uh, chartered by Peter Angelo. So some kids that, again, maybe not really grasping the gravity of the situation, being able to travel to Cuba, but uh, they were there. Before the game, players and coaches on both teams engaged in a flag ceremony. Castro, like I just mentioned, greeted the Orioles on the field and gave the Cuba team a pep talk. And uh, the game was actually televised by ESPN in the United States. So let's let's go over the uh, the game itself, the Orioles, just to kind of tell you uh, who was playing for the Orioles at this time. Uh, Brady Anderson would lead it off for the Birds. Mike Bordick playing shortstop. Uh, Will Clark, Albert Bell, B.J. Serhoff, Harold Baines, Willis Otanez. Jesse Garcia, Jeff Rebele, and Charles Johnson. As you can probably guess by that lineup, uh, a certain uh, Hall of Famer was not in attendance. Cal Ripken Jr. was not at the game for the first uh, meeting in Cuba. He was unable to join because of the declining health and eventual passing of his father, Cal Ripken Sr. Um, So unfortunately for Cal Ripken, not a great time for him. Uh, with this Cuba game. So he was not there for the Orioles in the first game against Cuba. So let's let's go through the game. The starting pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles was Scott Erickson. He allowed one run on five hits in seven innings. Uh, Cuba starter Jose Ibar, he allowed a home run to Charles Johnson and was relieved in the third inning by Jose Contreras. He's probably the one name on this Cuban team that probably stands out the most. Jose Contreras wound up pitching for multiple teams in the major leagues for the Yankees, White Sox, Rockies, Phillies, Pirates. He would win a World Series with the White Sox in 2005. He was an all-star in 2006 with that same team. So out of this Cuban contingent, he was probably the one, for me at least, that stood out the most uh, from this game. So the Orioles would take that two nothing lead in the first in the second inning, as I mentioned, uh, home run by Charles Johnson. Orioles manager Ray Miller would bring in his closer Mike Timlin in the eighth inning. This, however, would backfire 
as Omar Linares tied the game with an RBI single in the eighth inning. Tied after nine innings, the game would go into extra innings. Cuba had two runners on base in the 10th inning, but Mike Fetters retired Cuba without allowing a run. The Orioles would win the game with a Harold Baines RBI single off Pedro Luis Lazo that scored Will Clark with the go-ahead run in the top of the 11th inning. Jesse Orozco would get the final three outs in the bottom of the 11th, and the Orioles would win that game 3-2 to two in extra innings. So I wanted to, I wanted to look at this article. Uh, it's an article I found on themopupduty.com, and it's called The Orioles Play in Havana, and it's written by Callum Hewson. And uh, there's some quotes in here about the game, so I just wanted to read some of those quotes before we move uh, to the game that was played in Baltimore. So here's, uh, here's what Orioles outfielder B.J. Serhoff said shortly before leaving for Cuba. There's no way to know what Cubans are going through, and we don't pretend to. That being said, as players, we're going down there to play a game, and that's the extent of it. So that, that was from B.J. Serhoff before they traveled down to the game. This is from uh, this is a, a quote from someone who was, a, who was at the game. The players were on the field warming up, and out of nowhere came a loud cheer. Fidel, Fidel. Fidel Castro had walked onto the field like he'd owned the place, straight, tall, and firm. He came to greet the Baltimore Orioles and shook everyone's hand. Albert Bell, Brady Anderson, manager Ray Miller, and others quickly surrounded the 73-year-old leader, curious to get an up-close look at him and his combat in his combat fatigues. Castro told the Orioles players through an interpreter, this is a good baseball town, and not to worry, you're playing in front of the greatest baseball fans in the world. Since there's no such thing as luxury boxes in the, in the stadium, Fidel Castro took the next best seat, a front row directly behind home plate and sandwiched between baseball commissioner Bud Selig and Orioles owner Peter Angelos. So those were just a couple things, a couple quotes uh, from Orioles, from people who in attendance at the game, just, just really a, a surreal situation with the Orioles playing in Cuba. But as, as I mentioned earlier in the piece, a part of this deal was to have both, uh, was to have a home and home series. So game two was actually played in the middle of the seat. Well, not in the middle of the season, but uh, a, a few months into the season. So the second game was held at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on May 3rd, 1999. And actually it was a big crowd in front of 47,940 fans. By May 3rd, though, the Orioles had a win-loss record of 7-17 and in the Major League Baseball season. The Cuban national team, meanwhile, was stronger than, than they were for the first game. Uh, the 1998-99 Cuban National Series was finished, so players were uh, not available for the first game were able to join for the second game in Baltimore. A 300-person delegation accompanied the Cuban team, including members of the Cuban media, students, and retired players. MLB requested the Federal Aviation Administration clear the airspace above Camden Yards for the game in response to an attempt that a Miami-based pilot and veteran of the Bay of Pigs invasion was going to drop anti-Castro leaflets over the uh, stadium for the first game. The start of the game was actually delayed for 56 minutes due to rain, and the game further interrupted by protesters, one of whom ran onto the field during the fifth inning, was thrown to the ground, by one of the Cuban um umpires. Jose Contreras actually started this game for Cuba, and he allowed a two-run double by Harold, Harold Baines in the first inning. For the Orioles, Scott Kamenicki, 
uh, started, who uh, who was on the disabled list at the time, and this was basically like a rehab start for him. He allowed four runs in the second inning to give Cuba the lead, four to two. Norge Luis Vera entered the game for Cuba in the third inning and pitched six and two-thirds inning in relief without allowing a hit, retiring 20 of the first 22 batters he faced. His hitless streak ended when, uh, when he allowed a home run to Delino De Shields in the ninth inning. Gabe Molina, who had made his Major League debut on May 1st, allowed Cuba to score five runs in the fifth inning, including a three-run home run hit by Andy Morales. The Cuban national team would go on to defeat the Orioles 12-6 to in this second game. Uh, just a highlight from this game, Daniel Castro, he batted four for five for Cuba, including a two-RBI uh, two triple, and he scored four runs in this game. Calvin Pickering, a rookie first baseman for the Orioles who had been promoted to the minor leagues uh, the day prior, committed three errors in this game. Uh, just again, just to look at the box scores of these two teams for the Orioles, uh, their starting lineup was Brady Anderson, Mike Bordick, uh, Rich Amaral, BJ Serhoff would come in, Jesse Garcia, Albert Bell, Gene Kingsale would play in this game, uh, Harold Baines, Calvin Pickering, uh, Willis Otanez, Delino DeShields, Charles Johnson. Yet again, no Cal Ripken in this game. Pitchers, uh, like I said, Scott, Scott Kamenicki was the starter. Basically a rehab start for him, one in the third inning, five runs, uh, or five hits, four runs, three of them were earned. Doug Linton pitched an inning and two-thirds for the Orioles, gave up four hits, two runs. Um, so not not a, not a good day for the Orioles. And as I mentioned, Gabe Molina pitched for the Orioles, only one inning, just getting called up, four hits, five runs, all of them earned. Um, so not a good outing for the Orioles. But uh, you also you also got to think, as I mentioned there, the Orioles were 7-17 seven and 17 entering this game, uh, playing an exhibition game against the Cuban national team in the middle of May, like probably not a game that they wanted to do. And uh, so the score kind of reflected that. And especially, like I said, Scott Kamenicki was pitching for the Orioles. It was more of a rehab stint for him. If I remember correctly, this game in Baltimore was not broadcasted on TV, not local affiliates, not national affiliates, like nothing. So I thought I thought it was kind of weird that they they made a I mean obviously the big deal of a of an American sports team playing in Cuba obviously that was a big deal but it's just as big a deal to have the Cuban national team come here to the United States and play a game and that just wasn't broadcasted so I thought that was kind of weird uh, so again the Orioles uh, final lines here the Cuban national team had 12 runs 18 hits and one error. For the Orioles, six runs, six hits, three errors. Uh, just a lot of crooked numbers. Uh, the Cuban national team had a four-run second, a two-run third, a five-run ninth. Um, so just all over the place <laughs> for the Orioles and Cuba. So they split the series. Uh, the, the historic two-game series between the Orioles and Cuba ended in, in a split one-to-one. -one. A little bit of the aftermath of this game a thing that was obviously on the minds of a lot of people for this series was defections from Cuban players and, and, and staff members. Rigoboto Herrera, a retired Cuban national team member, he accompanied the Cuba delegation to the United States, actually defected 
during the visit. Six retired players overslept the day of the game in Baltimore, and they missed their flight back to Cuba. No other members of the delegation defected. Actually, to discourage defections during the exhibition game in Baltimore, Cuba maintained strict security around their young players, not allowing sports agents to speak with them at all. No active Cuba players defected during the trip to Baltimore. Members of the Cuban national team did defect in the years following. Andy Morales, who I just mentioned in Game 2, having a nice game, he defected in 2000. Jose Contreras, who wound up winning a World Series for the Chicago White Sox, who was considered Cuba's best pitcher at the time, gained international fame after this series and defected from Cuba in 2002. Nelson Diaz, a Cuban umpire who officiated the game in Baltimore, defected from Cuba into the United States in 2009, so 10 years after this series was played. Major League Baseball and the Major League Umpires Association engaged in a dispute regarding the amount of pay owed to the umpires. In 2000, uh, so a year after this series happened, Sid Thrift, the Orioles' general manager, told the Washington Times that the team had a practice of not signing players who had defected from Cuba, which he attributed to the Angelos' desire to avoid anything that could be interpreted as being disrespectful or encouraging players to defect. Investigations by Major League Baseball and the United States Department of Justice did not find evidence that the absence of Cuban players on the Orioles roster or its minor league system was due to discrimination. Uh, The Cuban national team would not play in the United States again until the 2006 World Baseball Classic. So this is, what, seven years later. President George W. Bush actually attempted to prevent Cuba from participating in this tournament, because, and, and but the other nations, there were other nations, it doesn't say who, but there were other nations who promised to withdraw from the tournament if Cuba was barred from the tournament. Um, the next American team to travel to Cuba and play an exhibition match was actually a couple years ago, well, about six years ago now, the Tampa Bay Rays traveled to Cuba to play against uh, the Cuban national team in March of 2016. So just a crazy two-game series might be forgotten in today's day and age. You know, like I said, it's it's not something that is talked about, I think, a lot in the Orioles' lore and in the Orioles' history. And But, yeah, it was, it was a, a multiple-decade fight to get Major League Baseball teams to play in Cuba and for the Cuban team to play here in the United States. And after all the years and Peter Angelos becoming the owner of the Orioles, it was finally able to happen in a very unique, strange 1999 two-game exhibition series between these two teams. So just a, a, a weird a weird moment and I think a moment that needs to be talked about a little bit more uh, when it comes to Orioles history. So that's going to do it for the show. A little bit of a short one. I mean, it was only two games to talk about in this series. And and just the the background and everything that happened leading into the series between Cuba and the Orioles. So I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Again, I am going to try to bring you these episodes on a weekly basis from now on. I know I had a little bit of a break there. All the socials, you can hit me up on Twitter. My personal account is at Andy Snacks, and that's S-N-A-K-S with Snacks. The show Twitter page, Birdland History on Twitter. Email the show, historyofbirdland at gmail.com. Next week's show, 
and this is going to be a, a, a weird one as well because it's only going to be around one game. And I'm going to talk about the 1996 game where Chris Hoyles hit a walk-off grand slam on a 3-2 pitch with the Orioles down 13-10 in the ninth inning against the Seattle Mariners. So we're going to deep dive into that game, the Chris Hoyles walk-off grand slam back in 1996. So again, I hope you enjoyed listening to the show, and I will be back next week with a new episode of the History of Birdland podcast.